0: Hi, this is Trevor Jackson. Welcome to Tomorrow Is Mine. Jackson Miller is a smart, hardworking and ambitious young man with a genuine concern for others. He was a high school prefect, a dedicated sportsman, and by the time he was in his mid-teens, he was a professional musician. In his final year of school, he was just one of 12 students to be selected nationally for the Vice-Chancellor's Elite Scholarship from Bond University which recognises not only academic excellence, but also places a substantial emphasis on leadership and community engagement. For Jackson Miller, the scholarship was not only recognition for all of his hard work, it was the crowning achievement of his young life. At Bond, he continued to excel scholastically as he immersed himself into university life. Jackson's achievements included establishing Bond's first women's soccer team and a running club that helped 40 people compete in the Gold Coast Marathon, while still managing to find time to volunteer and mentor his fellow students. In Jackson's words, he found it almost impossible to say no to anything. Last semester, it all came crashing down for Jackson when the realisation hit him that he'd been trapped into a relentless cycle of overachievement, where he no longer understood what his real motivations were or why he was constantly trying to do so much. He turned his experience into a positive solution by assisting in the release of the Building a Better Bondi program, a holistic character development program to help others under stress, while also advocating for his peers on academic committees and in launching his own startup and podcast. Jackson Miller, welcome to Tomorrow Is Mine. Tell me about your interest in this podcast, because you approached me Tell me a little bit about how you found out about the show.
1: I, I did approach you. Thank you, Trevor. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really humbled by the opportunity. Um, so I, I found it online. I saw, I was checking out Study Gold Coast resources and, yeah, I saw that Tomorrow Is Mine, really connected with the idea of empowering young leaders of the future And I thought that perhaps some of my story might help others in situations that I found myself in in the last sort of 12 months. And so, yeah, that's, I reached out, Um, really enthusiastic about the opportunity to, yeah, hopefully share some lessons from, I guess, a place of vulnerability, of um, struggles, of overcoming those challenges and feeling like I'm at least on the positive side now and yeah, being able to grow from that. So it was a pleasure. Thank you. Really cool.
0: No, my (laughs) pleasure. So you're from Adelaide. Tell me about your life there. Which part of Adelaide are you from?
1: I'm, I'm from Turac Gardens. Rose Park, um, lived really close to the parade. So we'd always wander down there, grab some food, play some pool um, and lived really close to school. I went to PAC in Adelaide. I had an interesting experience there. I loved the opportunities that resulted, but I did find that uh, I didn't really connect with the, I think, all boys school culture that was around. Nothing wrong. PAC is an amazing school, incredible opportunities. And I'm so grateful for what they provided me with. But I did find that in the cohort of students that I had, there were a few that I connected with, but I definitely struggled a little bit. Being at school, being at home, I was a two different sort of types of people Um, and that was a challenge for me and it inspired a lot of growth absolutely. I was really involved in music and sport and leadership and everything that I could get my hands on and that hasn't changed since being at uni but I think I've grown a lot character wise and being able to yeah move out from Adelaide at 17 to come over to the coast it's, it's inspired a lot of growth it's almost forced discomfort from moving out of home so young and being in this incredible environment of People who are so driven, so inspiring, so motivating. Um, but I, I, I love my time in Adelaide.
0: Well, it's interesting because you're talking about—if I'm correct me if I'm wrong—that yeah. you you had this kind of not an outsider mentality, but that you didn't necessarily feel like you were part of the the greater student body in that sense. That you didn't feel that connection, and yet you took on all these leadership opportunities, and you're very involved in sport, which is obviously about teams. But yet you still felt maybe that you. What, square peg in a round hole kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, perhaps. I think um,
1: I was really passionate about everything that I did do, um, whether that was sort of leading soccer clubs and, you know, playing and running and performing and music. But amongst all of them, I felt like the people I connected with were shared connections from interest, perhaps rather than shared connections about... um, our determination to grow and develop and that's something that I think's changed since being at university but I did feel yeah different to the people that I I was around in school and that didn't prevent me in any way from getting along with my mates and spending time with them and having an awesome experience at school but it did feel different and like I was a different almost person to um, at school to what I was at home because of these sort of external expectations I think it's probably an experience that lots of people may find and put themselves in sort of impose these sort of superficial expectations that really don't exist but we we build them up and we think that they do mm. And I think that's something that I definitely felt at school and perhaps this fear of judgment this fear that yeah I'd I needed to do these commitments to Um, appease others, to appease these expectations that didn't really exist and so that's something that I've definitely sort of grown through in the last few months but it was something that I did feel particularly during high school and only less so now that I have explored these other opportunities. Yeah it's a
0: curious thing that and a lot of teenagers go through this and not necessarily from any weight of expectations externally, uh, not from their parents, it Mm -hmm. seems to be very much something self-inflicted if I can use that term but where it's kind of like I think it's just trying to work out your identity, it's particularly in your mid-teens. You're, you're 19 now, but yep. it's, I get the sense that you have probably found a new level of maturity and, and that the burden of that, that self-imposed kind of burden, is, is somewhat lifted for you now.
1: Absolutely. That's, that's exactly right. And I do agree that some of it is age and development, but I think a lot of the growth that I've experienced has been from forcing myself out of this comfort zone. I know it's cliche, but there is so much growth, I think, from yeah, from doing things that really do bring you discomfort. I think that's when the true learning and the true character development does occur. For me in school, it was uh, do these experiences that were already sort of initiated. I was um, like a prefect. I was um, playing soccer in our first 11 and you know, performing in the top bands and going into state as a museo and all these commitments that were yeah outstanding with these different expectations. But it was the growth that came from, maybe I say no to an opportunity. That was me getting outside of my comfort zone in school. And so when I did, I was like, okay, well, why did I say that? Why did I say no to something? That was me outside of my comfort zone. And that inspired more reflection and learning in a way than what traveling interstate for a gig did. It's, it sounds really interesting, but playing in front of 7,000 people in a band competition was less nerve wracking to me than saying no (laughs) and (laughs) obviously it's such a foreign weird idea and something that i still think about today like well why was that so challenging but it was again these expectations that we placed upon ourselves
0: it's an interesting thing isn't it and i think a lot of musicians or performers could talk about this actors whatever that even though you can be on stage in front of thousands of people, you can actually feel quite isolated. You can, mm. you can disconnect from the fact that there's a whole sea of people in front of you. Yeah. Be in your own space, not even really even thinking about it too much. Just focusing on you know, your musical interest or whatever it is, your performance aspect of whatever you're doing. But put yourself in a personal situation that's a little bit awkward or uncomfortable. There's no kind of barrier. There's no kind of protection. There's no bubble for you there. There's not.
1: And you're you. You're you making that decision. Fully exposed. Yeah. When, like, I'm a drummer, and so I visualize I think through every single move of my hands of my feet when I'm playing a song and I've done it a thousand times I can do it with my eyes closed because I've prepared so well and perhaps that's why it's the preparation that yeah I guess prevents poor performance but when I'm sitting on stage or sitting behind the kit I know exactly where I'm moving saying no I don't know what's going to come as a result of that I don't know how people are going to react and I guess I place so much emphasis external emphasis on what others would say how they would think that that terrified me so much more than if I was to make a wrong move, if I was to hit the snare instead of the hat and (laughs) the sound that that would make. Maybe that's gonna be, you know, it's gonna have a catastrophic effect on the song perhaps, but that terrified me less than the possibility that people would react poorly or that I wouldn't satisfy what they wanted. And it was only from realizing and focusing on what was truly important to me and accepting that the people who I care about and who I do want to have a strong relationship with won't mind if I do behave in the way that is true to me. They yeah. would care more if I wasn't being true to myself and they wouldn't mind if something I did was you know, frustrating for them because they'd accept that that's part of the journey that it was and that I am on rather than fulfilling this desire that doesn't really exist to satisfy them.
0: Again, this is something I think that is common to a lot of teenagers to varying degrees and I think when you're in that space, you think it's just you. But then with age comes experience and you realise that the best part about getting older is you don't give a damn about what (laughs) anyone else thinks about you. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah.
1: And there's so much power in realising that and accepting that. And I think it does, as you say, come with age. Uh, It also does come with throwing yourself out there and accepting. If I'm unapologetically authentic and if I'm my true self and I present myself with vulnerability, with, with authenticity, with the courage to absolutely trust the values that I hold important and who I am, then it doesn't matter what is coming from the outside. I know I'm preaching this sort of message that's always promoted, but if you truly do accept and believe that, that's how I've got through this tough journey that has been the last six months in particular. And I know that now where I'm sitting where I am, I wouldn't be here if I didn't accept that and truly believe that. And so just the opportunity to be here and the power to be able to preach those words is me sort of accepting this new journey, which is being unapologetically authentic, is being proud of who I am and open about it and volunteer. Vulnerable with my story of this sort of suffering, this two, two different people that existed within school and appeasing these external expectations. Having now overcome that and being able to talk about it, I hope will yeah, help people in feeling the same sort of courage to be vulnerable, to be authentic and to be themselves in any situation that does present itself like that.
0: No, I don't see you as delivering <laughs> a sermon at all, Jackson, not at all. Let's, let's talk about how you got to the point of where you are now and mm. this a particularly challenging period in your life. At school, you excelled academically. In fact, you were offered a scholarship, the Vice-Chancellor's Elite (laughs) Scholarship, no less, from Bond University. Only, I think, 12 students nationally were offered this. So this is a huge deal. You are obviously a standout student academically. But it's more than that, because I know Bond goes looking for community engagement, something beyond just being smart or clever. So tell me a little bit about that scholarship, how you ended up receiving it and what you did
1: to achieve it. Yeah, it was such a humbling and it was so humbling to receive that offer. I was absolutely blown away and and could not believe it. It it does, as you say, consider a bit more than just academic. It, It is considering your leadership, your community engagement and your proven history of that. Um, and so, yeah, to be recognised in such a way was so powerful and that that felt incredible. That was an amazing moment. I remember receiving the call from the vice-chancellor while I was studying um, and I, I couldn't study for the rest of the day, let alone do much. So it was an amazing feeling. I'm so grateful to Bond for the opportunity to be able to be here and supported by the scholarship. So grateful for it, so humbled by it. Yeah. And so since I, I've been throwing myself into as many sort of opportunities that I can um, and again, it came from a bit of a place of well, I've done this before. I In school, I did do all these commitments. I, I should be doing them again. I've now been recognised in this position. I felt like I had to and should be sort of giving as much of myself as I can to the university to, I suppose give back for what they've given me and on that sort of journey I realised that perhaps again I was living into and playing into these expectations that others may have placed so uh, but don't get me wrong it was it was very rewarding very satisfying along the way to be able to make these sort of changes within the university and have an impact on other students lives and it has been yeah a phenomenal sort of experience so far I've loved my
0: time at Vaughan. So yeah as you say it wasn't just about academic excellence it mm. was about leadership you'd been a school captain you'd Prefect, yeah. a pre- prefect, I beg your pardon. And you are a drummer. Is it true you made your professional debut at the Adelaide Fringe Festival? <laughs> is that right? I did,
1: yeah. <laughs> How'd you find it, that one? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I did, I was really lucky. Um, <laughs>
1: there's a funny story behind that, if you'd like to hear it. Sure. My, um, yeah. my parents went to, Michael Griffiths gave me my first opportunity, um, international cabaret performer, and my parents went and saw his show. And during the show, he spoke about how his drummer's going on a holiday for a couple of weeks, and he's going to be missing one for the show. So parents came home, and they told me I was like, oh, like should I send him a message? Like, what should I do here? And so <laughs> I wrote him a letter, and he he lives two houses down. I dropped the letter in his mailbox. Said please. So, so like, you
0: knew him personally?
1: I, I'd never met him. No. Really? <laughs> and yeah, even though a couple of houses down, and if, I know right, there's only a few houses there, but yeah. So I wrote him a letter. said put my number on it. I said please, I, like I'd be so on it. Just let me play for you. And so I dropped it in his mailbox, and I was terrified. Like that was the big step for me again this was jumping out of the comfort zone and so I dropped the letter a couple days later I received a text from him he's like all right come over show me what you got I'm like Oh my god, I have to practice. Like jumped on the kit for the and next how, two How days old straight. were you then? This was I think I was sixteen, yeah. Man. Uh, well, you know. So he, he absolutely backed me in. To I didn't give tell this him, kid a chance. Yeah. I didn't tell him my age. I didn't tell him I was in school. I said I've done these gigs in front of all these different people and performed with these musos, which I had, but he didn't know that they were just sort of school performances that these people have been invited to and so And you're quite tall, so you could yeah. pass for an older you could have passed Perhaps. for an older. I, yeah. I think he'd seen me running down the street and maybe he's <laughs> okay, so he's he's around. Anyway went over and he yeah invited me over did a little sort of audition played a few songs and i looked over i saw his face i was sort of glancing at him every few bars and like oh you know what's he gonna think am i playing and then like sort of just stopped ended the first song and he's like all right we can work with this you're in <laughs> i was like wow just like that yeah, yeah. yeah. incredible wow. um and so i was really lucky i got to play a few shows with him and this show i should say it was called by request and so pretty different experience for me because we literally responded to song requests from the audience. So this is this is a cabaret performance so completely improv, could be anything. It's yeah. yeah. like how do I how do I prepare for this? It's different. There's no sheet music, there's no sort of prior rehearsal. I literally showed up for the gig other than this sort of sound check, showed up for the gig, introduced myself properly to the bassist. Her name was Flick, and Michael I knew obviously, but properly had a chat literally half an hour before we started performing and then we had a few songs that we'd practiced, but other than that, it was okay. Here's the song, play. I'm sitting on stage as this 16 year old in front of this big sort of audience and terrified. And did he
0: know how old you were at this stage? I didn't tell him. Didn't wow. tell him because but, I'm thinking like you know, if he'd known how young you were, he might have wondered: has this guy actually got a broad yeah. enough repertoire? Does yeah. he know? Enough stuff that we can pull this off? I was just listening. Every recess, lunch at school, I'd go
1: to our band room, sit behind the kit and just listen and try and play and respond. And so I was completely on the fly. It definitely taught me a lot in, you know, okay, improv, here we go, not only in terms of music but in terms of trusting your ability, backing yourself. I learnt so much from it. And he did admittedly tell this story of this 16-year-old kid that dropped a letter in his mailbox and now he's on stage at every performance that we did. It's a great story. Um, and but who
0: writes a letter these days? Yeah. <laughs> It gets me. It's like... You're 16. You don't write letters. People who are in their 60s (laughs) don't write letters anymore.
1: I didn't have his phone number. I had to contact him somehow.
0: (laughs) That's really charming. It's a great story. (laughs) Absolutely. So you went and played with him, but you said you had played with other musicians before that. So you'd had some experience. I had, yeah. So we had an awesome music program
1: at PSC. something I'm so grateful for. I was really lucky to be involved with some of the leadership with that as well. But we performed at Generations in Jazz, a band competition down in Mount Gambier. In my final year of school, we won it and that was incredible because we're not we weren't a specialist music school we don't have time set aside or anything like that for rehearsals during school time like some of the other schools do and are known for Um, and so for us I still remember that feeling when we were called out everyone in the school like jumped out of their chairs and screaming and it was an incredible moment I still get goosebumps thinking about it and we've got a video that captured it and that's a motivating that's if I ever need to pick me up or cheer you know that is powerful to embrace that moment again and so I was really lucky to perform with other musos through that and so i'd had grown a lot and it was that opportunity that michael gave me that then encouraged me to um again just send a cold text to um another sort of music connection from a different school in adelaide staff member who was part of baker boys band right. um, and so they're a australia-wide organization that do do so you, um, did you
0: play with baker boy uh,
1: not baker boy baker boys band oh. so they're a, a private function group um that oh, okay, do right. similar to michael in the sense that i Get sent a gig
0: request. If I accept it before anybody else accepts it, I'm on. Okay. And is this I, more like the Fabulous Baker Boys, as in Jeff and Bo Bridges' film, where they're doing a lot of jazz <laughs> standards and that sort of thing?
1: No. Oh, okay. um, again, no, different. Yeah, that's okay. okay. Um, so trying was, to work out where they're going. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah so
0: like, pr- they're a
1: private function group, contract yeah. musicians. Okay. Who, uh, for me, again, is this? I don't tell anybody my age. I don't need them knowing that I'm this young, and so I show up at these gigs. And one in particular was down in Mildura. So we dad drove me with the van and the kid in the back and you know, I was this this young kid that then showed up at this wedding with I don't know maybe 300 people around incredible moment I was terrified but we literally got to the wedding and I shook the hand of the other seven musos that were playing this gig and introduced myself half an hour before we started playing our three-hour-long set no yeah. of songs that, again, no indication of what we were playing prior. I just introduced myself to these completely new strangers, these new people, and then the lead singers started playing a song and I was expected to then sort of recall exactly what song it is, know what groove I'm going for. and How can
0: they hire you when you haven't <laughs> rehearsed with them? Yeah, that's, that's, that's
1: just how they work. That was their job. and so I was. I was so lucky to be a part of that and do a few gigs with them. I'm so grateful for that opportunity. Yeah. I drew so much confidence, not just in my drumming and in my music, but mm-hmm. in other areas of life, In trusting myself to yeah. perhaps do something like this and be confident in telling my story on the fly as a result of the opportunities that, yeah, Michael was able to give me, and there's so much that's come from that.
0: It's very impressive. I'm not sure <laughs> about the laws in South Australia, but did you have any run into any issues in licensed premises? My given dad that was under- there,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dad hung around and kept an eye of it. But- (laughs)
0: It's like your personal (laughs) bodyguard. It's like, you know, my minder. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Getting back to the Vice Chancellor's Elite Scholarship, that's one of the things that Bond looks for. You know, what do you do outside Mm. of school? What are your Mm. other interests? For you, you're a keen runner, you're a professional drummer. (laughs) So, you know, there's that, there's the leadership stuff. So all Mm. of that is built into that. Were you interviewed by Bond? You said the Vice Chancellor called you to give you the good news, but were you also interviewed prior to that? I, I
1: was. They flew 20 of us in my selection year to the Gold Coast, and we were doing these, I guess, psychometric assessments these team building activities a range of experiences that were very confronting for a 17 year old at the time in a different city for the first time to meet this incredible group of people that experience for me was phenomenal because it was school captains from schools all around australia these high achieving students who are yeah at the top of their cohorts in everything that they do and they weren't just outstanding academically these were elite athletes you know national level again sort of musos and performers performing art like incredible cohort of students that they'd selected and so i was sitting there i was like why do i deserve to be here how is it how is it possible how have i got to this opportunity and so yeah they were doing this really intense assessment completely new experience for me and I think that the power or something that I've always had in those experiences this is the opportunity to, I guess, separate myself from it and be, as, as I sort of mentioned, just grateful for the opportunity to be there because I think that in being grateful for it, in being, I guess, humbled by it, in being so excited by the opportunity to do so, it does for me take away the nerves of what I was feeling. Don't get me wrong, I'm still terrified and was terrified (laughs) of it and just thinking about it, it's like, wow, that was crazy Yeah, but everyone is, we're human and, And just acknowledging that and then being excited about it it was always my nan always said like oh like i would wish you luck for your exams but i know you love them and i said like yeah i do it's an opportunity to to prove to test myself and to see what like i am capable of that's sort of the mindset that i always had going into this assessment because i guess at the end of the day maybe it comes back to that expectations thing again but I hope that I can just portray who I am. And if I do that and it doesn't work out, well, it doesn't work out. But if it does, then I can draw so much confidence from that because they're trusting in my character and my ability and the development that I've had. And so if I'm my authentic self and it, it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But if it does, then
0: wow. Would you call yourself a perfectionist? I mean, you're talking about high achiever (laughs) here, but I'm trying to get a sense of where this comes from. Does it Mm. come, like, are your parents similarly geared, or like, where does this come from, do you think? Definitely
1: something I've considered. I I would classify myself as a perfectionist. It certainly, again, does come through this appeasing of external expectations. My parents have humble beginnings. My dad didn't finish high school, and he went into a panel shop, and from there, it's just his work ethic, which I admire the most and he's phenomenal in how hard he's worked and where he's been able to get he now manages in Adelaide and he's got three crash repair branches under the runner crash repair group and my mum she's a nurse and so she has had some career changes at the moment in administering COVID vaccines but works as well with or at least used to most of the time with mums in postnatal depression um, and so it was a it was a challenging and I guess stressful environment at home both my parents being in, yeah, stressful jobs, completely different areas, but dad with managing his employees and attempting to resolve conflict and tension without necessarily a a leadership background. And I see him as just a hard worker who absolutely gives everything. And then mum in this situation where she's looking after not only these mums who are struggling mentally but also these young babies who aren't getting the support that they need so then when we get home and you know i'm having this challenge at school and my younger brother at the same time like it was a challenging environment it, there was a lot of complexities to it, a lot of sort of moving parts because we're all in these stressful environments you know it's stressful being a teenager in high school and trying to figure out who you are and go to soccer practice to go to band rehearsals to go to leadership meetings and to do all of that yeah i was definitely wired to I guess, be almost a different person in different situations. I think that probably plays into this desire to, yeah, to appease these external expectations or to perfect everything that I can do. But it was definitely the work ethic and the ability to sort of emotionally empathize with people that I got from my mum and dad, respectively. Yeah, Yeah,
0: very interesting. You've obviously given it a great deal of thought. (laughs) Just getting back to the Bond situation, Mm. had Bond University been on your radar before the scholarship opportunity came up or no?
1: it was a careers night that our careers counselor at school organized where i first heard about bond and it was that personal conversation that i was able to strike up with our regional manager his name is scott williamson who um he was just interested in what i was interested in and he wanted to know and he wanted to know my why my purpose my passion and for him to be able to ask those questions before asking well what university do you want to do, and what what do you want to what do? You want to go to? Sorry, and what do you want to study? I thought that that was powerful, and so we got along really well, had an amazing conversation, and as a result of that, I threw my hat in the ring for the scholarship. Never thought in, in any way that I'd be able to, let alone go to this selection weekend, but get the scholarship. That, that was just out of this world to be able to um yeah come up with that somehow but yeah it was that it was that conversation and that interest and I think that that's something that I've tried to take in every conversation that I do have with people it's yeah I ask how you are and then I ask like what are you doing for yourself this week or what are you passionate about because I think that jumping to that core of people's being it shows a lot more care and it's it's powerful if you then understand their why
0: okay so you get the phone call from the vice chancellor which is an honor in itself obviously a very <laughs> busy man so you jump on the plane, you fly to the Gold Coast, a city where I presume you don't know anyone. I didn't, know. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that feeling of what it was like when you arrived here, that you've got this scholarship now, that you've got this career pathway that you've obviously thought through that where you want to go, how you want to do it. What was that like when you arrived here?
1: It was overwhelming. Absolutely. I'll be honest. At 17, moving out of home to then go into this university environment, it was, yeah, it was confronting. There was so much support offered and all these opportunities, which I'm sure I'll talk about shortly but it was scary. And I think I didn't probably acknowledge the scariness and the challenge that it would bring. I just sort of got on with it. And I thought, well, this is my life. I better dig in and make the most of it. And so that definitely, again, played into all the commitments that I involved myself in and the opportunity to meet people in student accommodation, to play in different sporting teams and to perform and compete in different ways, even academically and so it was the challenge that I think perhaps many people may not accept of moving out of home is like it it is a big deal and so for me it was distracting myself from that challenge by throwing myself into other experiences but I think looking back I wish that I acknowledged the challenge that comes with moving out of home and the extra time that that perhaps takes even if it is living in supervised university student accommodation there's still you know the stress of oh well damn, there's, my family aren't there to, you know, ask how my day was and I can't ask them how their day was and have that chat. As much as I always know that they're a phone call away and will always answer my call, it's definitely something different that, yeah, was, was confronting and challenging.
0: It's a tough thing. You can have all the support in the world and, and there is a lot within mm. your university but also through the Gold Coast Student Hub and various other facilities in the city to help students like you. But it's still... The reality of being a 17-year-old, moving out of home for the first time, moving three states away to a city where you don't know anyone, it can be incredibly daunting. When you had those moments and you were really struggling, how did you cope? What did you do?
1: I think I was really lucky to connect with not just friends, but also a few amazing mentors in that initial period. Um, It was definitely them and having these really heartfelt, vulnerable conversations that enabled me to, to get through those challenging periods. At the same time, I think I almost grew a bit closer to my family, albeit the distance, because I was able to probably for the first time vulnerably express that like I'm struggling being away from you I felt like I wasn't able to perhaps do that at home not because they weren't open and inviting but just the nature of the distance forced me to make sure that I was communicating and so sometimes I think that it is that almost sort of forced separation or forced discomfort that can encourage some more efficient communication and more powerful communication as well so it was that those mentors that were then asking me like how are you I would say good they say like like, how are you really? And it's that second follow-up question. So
0: powerful. <laughs> I'm wondering because I know that you threw yourself into so much uh, yeah. of university life. Maybe it wasn't consciously. Maybe mm. it was subconsciously mm. a kind of substitute for not having your immediate family present. It's just like okay. I'm just going to immerse myself in everything. I'm going for it. This is a huge adventure. I'm up for whatever's going, and I'm going to sign up for just about everything that I get. Yeah,
1: I think that's exactly right. It's something I have thought about a lot. I think what would also play into it is the desire to give back to the university for giving me this incredible opportunity. It was a bit of guilt for leaving my younger brother behind, who is still in Adelaide and is in year 12 at the moment. Yeah, moving away from my parents, I felt like, oh... Like not only do I want to sort of distract myself but I also want to make them proud and again these are expectations that perhaps they, they never they don't expect me to do anything like that but I felt like I had to and so I did throw myself into everything whether that was soccer of running of music of different leadership groups and academic committees and a few other things in student accommodation and all all those sort of experiences that were yes perhaps sort of replacing what had then you know become missing in my life.
0: But it wasn't just that you joined groups you started groups now you started the first women's soccer club on bond is that right?
1: Yeah so we had we had a men's program running and at the beginning of the year when I was in a position to launch this I applied for a a COVID kickstart grant for um, soccer club for sorry for the community and then uh, applied that to the soccer club Um, and we started our first women's soccer team who just recently um, were recognized minor and major premiers, and our coach got coach of the league and we got player of the league as well so it was an incredible culture to be able to have an impact like that um, and it wasn't just that one we also started it i started bond run club and so that was fantastic to connect people to get outside i'm studying exercise science and so i know the power of exercise and the connection that can come from it and so yeah, we do a weekly run and it's a great opportunity for people to just get outside, meet others outside of sort of these bubbles that we live in of our degrees or of our residential buildings and current friend groups. And so started that up and that's been incredible as well to just to see people from different degrees come together and meet each other. That it was so powerful and we were able to run the Gold Coast Marathon when it got cancelled and organised it to be on campus. So a couple of mates and I who were doing the full length, we ran this 1.5k loop up and down <laughs> (laughs) to get it done because everyone was sort of there and we had a little cheer squad going. It was fantastic. And there's so much power, I think, in this almost collective suffering (laughs) and the bond that it can inspire. And so to be able to do that was was incredible and that felt amazing.
0: That's extraordinary. I'm just in awe that you... Out of your comfort zone, yes, but out of away from your family, away from yeah. everything, you are starting these things that you are still only a very young man, and yet you've taken the initiative to do this. And this is exactly why Bond would be interested in you as having you as a student because you do have that drive, you have the capacity to do that, the, the ability to see that. I mean, you started a women's sporting team, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, which you would not be out. able yeah. to play for, you know, so that you have no vested interest in that purely for altruistic reasons so it's an extraordinary thing to do.
1: No thank you I I really appreciate that it was just something that I guess I saw was missing and so I was really lucky to again have mentors to speak about this sort of thing with and they helped me refine what would it actually look like what would the planning be what would the time commitment be and without them I know that I wouldn't have been able to be in a place to think about starting them let alone actually put in the steps to be able to launch this club and Yeah, obviously, I'm so grateful that it's turned out well, but it easily could have not gone so well, yeah.
0: Now, one thing I understand, you're also looking to start your own podcast. So I'm wondering, <laughs> am I going to have competition now? <laughs> no. <laughs> is that
1: true? It is, yeah. I, I Hopefully it's sort of emerged, but I have a passion for learning and engaging and hearing people's stories and their why. And so with a best mate of mine, we're, yeah, considering start launching this podcast, focusing on learning from those who are smarter and more experienced than ourselves, because I do believe at my core that we can learn something from absolutely everybody, and so that's what the podcast will be focused on. Yeah.
0: Fantastic! And will it be purely for bond students, or are you? No, looking absolutely,
1: at no? we'll expand to the community. Um, hopefully, have some guests who are at the peak of their respective fields, but not necessarily career or profession wise. Just peak in, say, resilience. They've overcome some really significant challenges, or have an amazing friend who I see is the most authentic and unique and sort of demonstration of what authenticity is and so i would just like to invite her on the podcast and have a conversation about how she's able to be that type of person that she is without fear of any judgment conversations like those that i suppose focus on more holistic learning and development than just um okay well what do you want to do with your career i think are really important and really important for young people to have because that's something that i've learned is that there is power yes of course in thinking about how your career will progress. But if at the same time you're worrying about and considering your growth and your character development and your more, I guess, holistic focus on what life is and what it looks like, then there's infinite power in that.
0: Speaking of careers, we haven't really talked about your choice (laughs) and why you chose exercise and sports science at Bond. You're far more than just a keen sportsman. You're a talented musician. You're (laughs) an academic achiever. You're a leader. There's so many things that you could have done. Why did you choose sport in particular and exercise sports science?
1: I chose initially exercise sports science because I wanted to do a postgraduate doctorate in physio at Bond. And that was the initial career path. I've realised since that that isn't going to be for me Um, and I have interviewed and applied and submitted portfolio applications for postgraduate med schools knowing that I have a, a really strong interest in assisting solving some health inequalities that exist in our world through public health and I want to understand the medical system and work as a doctor to then be able to have an impact on that and so that's where my career is now heading as well as hopefully these other initiatives that can help people along the way such as a podcast and a business I'm working on at the moment But I'm so grateful that I did pick exercise science because at the moment, I think that there is a real curative focus on healthcare, but I do believe that exercise is medicine. There's so much power in going for a walk, whether it be for connectivity or cardiovascular health, of course. And so I think that if we can advocate this exercise as a prevention and encourage everyone to get outside a bit more, to to move, to sweat, to connect with people, then- our healthcare system could improve drastically and and have such a strong impact and so I'm really grateful that I chose the course that I did and especially at Bond with the opportunities that have resulted and the growth that I've experienced and perhaps in other degrees I mightn't have had the time to engage with all these other opportunities so I'm so grateful to be on the journey that I am and I've made some incredible relationships had some incredible friendships through the cohort as well as relationships with amazing lecturers who have done their own research and it's been a fantastic journey through Bond.
0: Given that you're on scholarship was it an easy transition you go to bond you suddenly realise in your first year that actually I I want to kind of follow a similar path but really Mm -hmm. my focus is going to be medicine now
1: Yeah, they were really accommodating with the consideration that I might change in the future. They certainly accepted my initial application into exercise science and it was something that for students on this scholarship isn't as common. We're mostly law grads or students studying biomed, business, commerce. They were the more common choices and so I was a little bit left field coming in and to do exercise science. It was different. I suppose we do have a lot of academic achievers within our cohort of these scholarship recipients and so I was coming from a different position of, okay, well, I, I'm passionate about exercise. I'm passionate about exercise as medicine and sport. I, I'm going to follow that passion and I guess trust that it'll take me where I need to go by still backing it in when, yeah, I, I guess comparatively the entry requirement ATAR wise for my degree is a lot less than law and what biomed. And so I trusted that it was the right course for me, even though I suppose on paper, it could have been other degrees that have a different ATAR requirement.
0: Yeah, sure. You've alluded to this a couple of times, so let's get down to the nitty-gritty of last semester, which you say was the most challenging period of your life. What was it that happened, and how did it affect you?
1: Great question. So last semester, I was uh, running a soccer club, the music club, our running club, a couple academic committees and volunteering in different ways, and individually and on paper, these were all really fulfilling experiences that I Absolutely wanted to commit my time to because of the potential to help others and to altruistically contribute wherever I could. It was just when those experiences were combined with med school applications, with interviews, with portfolios, with studying for the entry exam that it really accumulated.
0: And it was no kidding. Yeah, I know, it's shocking. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm shocked.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I went through this really challenging period. I came out a lot closer with my family, with my friends, with the people who are really important to me. But during this time, I was struggling because I felt like I was stuck in this cycle, this sort of inescapable and inevitable feeling of, well, why am I doing what I am doing? It just felt like, You know, my calendar was from 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day and I'm just going to keep rolling through that for weeks and there was no satisfaction drawn from that. There was no purpose. As much as it was incredible, we've spoken about a couple of the initiatives, starting the first women's soccer team at Bond and the success that, and seeing that grow and how that developed and same with the run club and the connection, it still felt like everything that I was doing because of the nature of it and just flowing one after the other and no variability or no sort of autonomy over changing those experiences I felt like I was stuck in this cycle and so without control or the ability to sort of intervene and do what I really want to do I felt really down I I was really struggling um for the first time I was sort of breaking down and thinking what am I doing why like why am I here and I think it's probably a challenge that perhaps a few maybe high achievers or p- lots of people would go through in again sort of appeasing these expectations that they put upon themselves and so i was doing exactly that and i was really struggling with it and really down and it was then that i spoke to my family and broke down for the sort of first time with them and was able to be so <laughs> emotional and raw and like mum like i called my mum and she, i was just in tears on the phone i was struggling i was like i don't know what i'm doing like on, on paper and to everybody else I, I rock up to these meetings and you know I contribute I lead, I am really engaged but then say I get to 10pm and I'm getting ready for bed and like I'm struggling I'm like well what impact did I actually have today it, obviously it's it's different because they see me leading the soccer club this running club these academic committees and offering all these ideas for institutionalized change that are really impactful but then internally I was still struggling with why am I doing what I'm doing so that was the period that I went through last semester of really significant growth and learning from that. But it was really tough.
0: It's interesting you say with your podcast, you're curious to find out the why of mm-hmm. what students are doing, the choices they make. And yet you hadn't considered your own. You're, no, I had You're hadn't. interested in everyone else's. Yeah. But when you've got to turn the, the microscope inward and then you start to analyse your own situation – You hadn't really questioned it. You're just doing it.
1: You're you're right. I, I was doing it because I thought maybe I had to. I was then, when I was able to turn and sort of I have recently, and that's why I want to start the podcast and look intrinsically and consider my why, that I was then able to realign and reconsider the purpose behind all of my commitments. And in doing that, I drew so much more satisfaction from Everything that I was doing. I dropped a few things, admittedly. And so I, I started these new things like a podcast business and focusing more on the running club and the connectivity of that rather than the regular schedule of periodization of exercise for everybody that was involved. So it was sort of restructuring and realigning those experiences as well as the support of mentors and being. Again, unapologetically authentic with who I am and vulnerable in sharing that
0: experience
1: that then inspired so much consideration and so much more satisfaction with everything that I'm doing. And it's been so powerful as a result.
0: One thing that we didn't mention, and I can't (laughs) believe I didn't think of it because there's only like, you know, just a handful of things that you've been doing that you've (laughs) achieved already this software business you you're also launching a software business
1: yeah so bond has this incredible transformer program um, and they inspire entrepreneurship and mentor you through and so i have an idea for a business that's the stage that it's in at the moment but i've been working on it a lot at this on the side through studying because you've got so much spare time (laughs) to do this yeah right (laughs) no but i love it i love it and so it's these commitments this semester rather than last that are really fulfilling and i don't feel like i'm working even if i am you know studying from or working from 4 a.m to 10 p.m it's it's so satisfying and I don't feel like I'm being burnt out in any way unlike I was last semester because these commitments like the blog and the reflective writing in this business and the potential podcast that are satisfying me so much that I'm drawing so much from them and learning so much about myself that they don't feel like commitments or like I am working or you know spending my time doing that so if we can realign our you know our practices our commitments to those that which really connect intrinsically it doesn't feel like work. People say, follow what you're passionate about. I think it's so challenging to know what you are passionate about or what your passion is. Especially when you're so young. Absolutely. And and we've we've said that, you know, you, you figure that out as you grow and as you develop and maybe with age as well. But, I think they're asking, um, we've had a conversation about this, but asking sort of your second why behind what you're doing. It's like, okay, so you're starting a running club. Why? It's like, well, I, I love running. But then like, well, why do you love running? My reason is, well, I love doing it with people because we have conversations that are more than, I guess, how was your day or how are you feeling at the moment? Like we really dig into what's the true purpose behind and you can find out incredible things about people when you do have those sort of conversations and tie mean, of time. I mean, that like month, you yeah. love
0: running. You can run. You don't need to start a club <laughs> (laughs) to run you can just put a pair of runners on and away you go that's it
1: yeah and i could just text a mate and we can go for a run anytime but Mm. when it's encouraging others to explore what running is for them or why they truly are out there because i don't set their alarm for them at 5am to get them out of bed to come for a run with us they have to do that themselves and so if i just encourage them to consider well why did you still set that alarm it's not because i was telling you you have to you Mm. still set it like there's still something internally that you know caused that and so if I can inspire people to consider that like perhaps I have in the last sort of semester in comparison to the last and I'd be really happy with that impact yeah Yeah.
0: and the nature of the software company we only really touched on that what's your vision for that or we're not allowed to talk about it (laughs) still in its formative stage at this point
1: so my my vision my mission statement with the business is to inspire vulnerability connectivity and gratitude amongst our human family that's my purpose, it connects a lot with who I am. So I see this as a bit of an extension to my story. I can't speak too much yet to the structure of the business, but by sharing our struggles and challenges with others and expressing support in moments where others particularly need it, I think we can connect as a whole more effectively and more powerfully than perhaps what current social media enables, which is okay, I like I'm scrolling through Insta, I like what you've done there. I comment, oh like that looks like a lot of fun. This is more powerful through shared voice and Proper personal connection, I think, that will inspire reflection and gratitude and vulnerability and that connectivity between us, which I think is so important, particularly at the moment. It's something that I value as important because of my experiences in last semester with struggling and realizing how powerful it was to communicate with those that were there for me that I was struggling. So I want to enable others to be able to do that and break down that perceived barrier that we sometimes feel in expressing gratitude and appreciation for others.
0: You raise an interesting point there. You talked about social media and I wonder whether there's your thinking around the superficiality of of Mm. the nature of social media, that it doesn't really provide any kind of emotional depth or sustenance, that there is a problematic aspect of social media and that perhaps creates unrealistic expectations about, you know, particularly platforms like Instagram where everyone's yeah. living their hyper-realised perfect life. Yeah,
1: it's their best life, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Is that a large part of it?
1: Yeah, I, I do want to overcome, I think, that toxicity in some ways that can evolve, even unintentionally, from engaging with social media. And I think the, do, the way to do so is through powerful, vulnerable personal connection and the, embracing the impact that our words have. My idea is to involve audio and expressions through personal voice rather than texting and you know scrolling through photos and it's to ensure support's always available from those that need it but I do certainly agree and appreciate that there is some degrees of superficiality in the current use of social media and so it's unfortunate because I think as everybody knows we see these views of people online and even if we are aware that well that's just them sort of Their like our expectation of what their life is look like. The reality is very different. I think that everyone is sort of aware of that, but even subconsciously, I think repeated viewings of images like those can enforce these opinions that we have of ourselves that are perhaps lesser, or we see ourselves more like as inferior in comparison to these sort of repeated showings of wow, like look what they're doing. They're always out for coffee. They're always going for a run. They're always exercising. Look at them in their active wear. Like you know, we see these incredible idolized pictures, and they can become reinforcing. I think it's something we're aware of. But I do see my idea in business is hoping, and I hope that it can help in overcoming those subconscious expectations that we may place upon ourselves from repeated viewings of those other images that are promoted on
0: socials. From your own experience, you're talking about your own self-imposed expectations mm-hmm. of, and as a high achiever mm-hmm. and not really understanding your purpose, your why, if yeah. you like. But. From what you're saying, what you're trying to create here, it's much broader than that. You don't necessarily have to be a high achiever to place unrealistic expectations on yourself in today's world, a very social media driven world. Given where you're headed with your software business, what would you say to someone who is struggling and what advice would you give to them? You're not a professional counsellor, but but, but you're only speaking from your own experience, but clearly you've tapped into something here. I would
1: encourage those around them first of all. My idea is to encourage those who have the ability to reach out to that person who is struggling to not feel afraid to do so. Say for example, you're paid for a coffee and so you arrive at the counter and someone, you're just told, you don't know who it was, but you're told, oh, this coffee's been paid for by somebody else in front of you. like. That feels incredible that feels phenomenal and then say compare that to perhaps on your birthday where you know that you're going to be celebrated and you are i would suggest that that unexpected act of kindness is more powerful in a way than the, the support that you're showing on your birthday because it's almost an expectation and so i want to work to empower those who can say pay it forward or have the ability to in my case express their gratitude and appreciation for that person who is struggling to break down the barrier that they may feel or may perceive to do so and so if i focus on the people in that sort of ring and network around the individual who's struggling and empower all of like the idea is to empower everyone to not feel afraid to express support gratitude appreciation for that person who's struggling so if we can tap into them and then you receive that unexpected act of kindness or support as that person who's struggling that's infinitely more powerful than needing yourself to reach out and to tell people that you're struggling i would of course also like to encourage everyone who is struggling in that moment to just say like help (laughs) it's just like one word it's just okay like just grab my arm help and i I would always like if anyone would like to chat and reach out i'm always willing to have a conversation and would love to i hope that maybe perhaps some sharing of my story inspires others to just talk to a person about it, I hope that that person would then be able to respond vulnerably and engage authentically with what they are saying. But yeah, my idea is to focus on empowering that network of people and our collective sort of family to feel comfortable in expressing their gratitude, in showing vulnerability and supporting those who who may need it.
0: You know, you can tell a lot from a society by the way they treat their most vulnerable. And with our increasing capacity to disconnect from each other through direct contact in the digital world, the need for personal engagement is greater than ever. You've really got to admire the ambitious nature of a concept designed to bring a network of people together as a collective responsibility to create support by reaching out to those who need help. When you think about it, we consistently do it on a smaller scale all the time in our family units and within charities, and within culturally strong organisations as well. So why not broaden the scope of that idea to achieve it within an entire community? It may sound somewhat overtly aspirational, perhaps even idealistic, but I do love that Jackson firmly believes it's possible, and that's the essence of what this podcast is about. If you'd like to discover the other episodes in this series, you'll find them at www.studygoldcoast.org.au slash podcast. My name is Trevor Jackson, and I'll catch you next time, for tomorrow is mine.